I'm Barbara Bray. Welcome to my Rethinking Learning podcast, where I have conversations with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and change agents. Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad to be here today with Dan Jackson. I'm so glad you're here. I am incredibly happy to be here, Barbara. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is so great. I have been following you on Twitter and having so much fun learning about you. So I thought, I got to get you on my show. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are. You're right. Well, I'm going to tell everyone a little bit about you. Dan Jackson is an experienced, reflective learner and strategic thinker with an ongoing track record of innovative adaptive leadership in education and business management. There's so many things I learned about you. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I love, the one thing I love about that is that it's ongoing. You know, so we, we got to keep, yep. Well, I think we're, we're all lifelong learners, especially when we're on Twitter and we learn about everybody. We're constantly learning, but I learned a lot more about you. So let me go on. Dan is a high school business and marketing instructor in North Carolina, where his students experience entrepreneurial pathways. And I'm really into learning more about that. And I love this. He professes that he develops thinkers and doers, not test takers. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) After all, thinkers and doers drive innovation. Welcome, Dan. Yeah, thank you so much. And and the whole idea is that I was 25 years now as a professional, and the only test I've ever had to take was the praxis for education. Whoa, <laughs> isn't that crazy? Yes. It's, it's just like we're mixed. Well, things are going to change. But you have a lot of experiences I was reading about, and I'd love you to tell a little bit about your story growing up. Uh, growing up for me was a... Uh, it was a challenge. I was adopted at six weeks old, and they're the only parents I've ever known. My father left the household when I was about five or six years old, and things changed for sure. Um, when I was nine in about fifth grade, he sued my mother for custody. Uh, he won, and he never should have because he was a uh, raging, functioning alcoholic. And I moved out to California from Ghost Point, Michigan, and had uh, been there about a year, went back to Michigan, went back to California, went back to Michigan, went to Hilton Head, South Carolina, went back to California. I went through a round of boarding schools in which I was pleasantly asked to leave, and I never really got my footing in education. If I were to take a look back and... I mean, and I often do take a look back, and I really don't have a lot of memories. And those that I do have are life-changing, but they're not necessarily pleasant. And so with all of this bouncing back and forth, I think what I learned was adaptability. I learned flexibility. I learned resiliency. I learned how to network. I learned how to talk to people. And I wouldn't be the person today that I am had it not been for these experiences. So I never used them as excuses. I used them as catalysts for growth. Wow. That's that's really great because I don't know. If I had to do what you went through, I don't know if I could be as generous about learning from those. 
But um, I guess all of us have experiences that can make us stronger. Those struggles really help us grow. And saying that you're adaptable and flexible, and you're probably very curious, too. Uh, I, I am curious. And mm-hmm. I, I've always been one. I mean, thank God for Google. I mean, I'm 52 years old. <laughs> and it always used to be that I had to go to the dictionary. I had to go to the library. And now I can just talk to my phone and get an answer quickly. Um, and I've tried to develop that in my young boys, too. I mean, if we have a question, don't allow for the question to go unanswered. Go dig. Go find out about it. And you never know what you might unearth. And you end up with something that you're interested in. And you keep going. And you go deeper. And you end into something that you really like and love. Oh, I, I got to write that down somewhere. That's a great quote. <laughs> well, you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really... It's, to me, I, I believe that same thing, and I wanted my children to feel that, you know, don't be skeptical. Ask questions. Don't just, mm-hmm. uh, just don't accept an answer. And I like well, the way let, you did let, that. Well, let me interject there right, right now. Is it, isn't being skeptical asking questions? Yes. Yeah. And so do be skeptical. Do be suspicious in a positive way so that when you hear something you don't take it at face value. You go, wait a second, that doesn't seem quite right to me. And I encourage my students to do that in class, too. If you hear something from me or from anybody else, speak up, ask a question, um, be curious. Uh, because if you just take things at face value, you end up what I call, and I heard it somewhere, being mindlessly indoctrinated. <laughs> or I call it learned helplessness. So it's kind uh, of... Yeah. They're very similar. It's just the idea that I've I've worked with some high school students that said, just teach me. <laughs> I just want to grade. I just want to do, I want, you know, and, and you and I both know that's not going to get them very far. No, no. And it's the, I think the biggest or one of the biggest challenges that I have right now with young people in my class is, and I talked to them about this from day one, you're not here for a grade. You're not a golf range ball collector just collecting points you are here to stop every once in a while reflect think about why am i here what am i doing what is this ball that i just picked up really neat and so the about it takes about five six weeks into the semester and suddenly they realize like whoa learning is kind of cool this isn't just about a gpa wow that that just i got a question for you because you had a very unusual uh, growing up, you know, background. So what what was it like for you as a student then? I mean, how did you become so awesome? <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate the accolade, and I'm not sure I'm worthy of all, but thank you. I graduated high school with a 2.2 GPA. I had every intention of going to a top university because that's what society and my parents expected of me. And I took off to South Carolina, which was the only college that accepted me, and I had an absolute blast my very first semester. And I left South Carolina with a (laughs) (laughs) 1.167. And I did not not become a student. I did not become a lifelong learner. I did not become what I am today until I was probably about 21 or 22 years old. Uh, I found the love of my life and my wife that really, that she was my rising senior summer sweetheart in, in, in high school. And she pulled the plug on all of my 
dot, dot, dot. And um, <laughs> my, 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 my parents said, okay, that's it. You know, you got a meal card, you got your tuition paid, you got your books paid, and um, you're on your own. And suddenly I looked at my bank account and said to myself, this is not for me. College is not for me. I'm not ready for this. And I, I withdrew right at the WF. <sighs> wow. And, yeah, so I did not get the F. And um, otherwise, my GPA would have been even more abominable. Um, I came back to school with a whole new purpose and a whole new philosophy. And I had to get nearly straight A's to get a 3.5. So two things on this. One is the philosophy that I picked up on was PWOC, P-W-O-C, party without a conscience. And by that, I don't mean go out and just tear it up and forget about everything else. What I mean is get the things done that are important, and then you go out and play and have a good time. And it really worked. And I had a really good time when I went back to college, and I did. We'll just leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the, the second thing from that is that if you're not ready for university, if you're not ready for the next step in training, don't do it. Don't do it because parents expect it of you. Don't do it because society expects it of you. It has to be right for you. And look at, I mean, I had a 1.1, 1.2 if you round up, and it took me nearly straight A's for three and a half years to get a 3.5. Hmm. But you did it. But I did it. And so I also learned in all of that a uh, the idea of goal setting, the idea of having priorities, the idea of, um, you know, planning your work and then working your plan. Um, had great roommates, had great support system which I had never had. And I think that if, if, as a student, what I've taken to my career as an educator is that provide support systems, provide the idea that there's always going to be somebody there for you. And it might not be a lot of people, but if you have just one person you can back up, that can back you up and you can go to, that's enough. Yes, in fact, it's really interesting. Almost everyone I've talked to, there has been that one person that made a difference. And mm-hmm. it could have been a parent. It could have been, uh, usually it's a teacher. Usually it's someone out there or coach, somebody who really believes in you and just pushes you. Well, I, I, went, to, I went to nine schools in seven years from the time I was in fifth grade to the time that I graduated. And I never found that one teacher. Do I remember some teachers? Absolutely. But there was ever that one that stood behind me on a constant and consistent basis? No. And I'm going to turn to my wife again, because when she met me when I was 16, 17 years old, and she saw in me something, and she always has been there for me. And I've, I've let her down. She's let me down. That's just the way relationships go every once in a while. But had it not been for her support, uh, I wouldn't be where I am today. Okay. So, what's your name? My name, uh, <laughs> my wife's name is uh, Jackie. And it's funny because she's, uh, her maiden name is Georgiani with a J, and now her last name is Jackson. So it's JJJ. JJJ? Oh, I love yes. it. She sounds like an amazing person, and it's so nice to have someone all these years. Be on your side and you on her side. That's what a marriage is all about. Yep, 36 plus August 2nd, it'll be 36 years since we first met. 
Wow. Our very first date. And we were married in 1991. So that's 28 years. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Did you say in August? August 2nd, 1983 was our first date. And we were married June 1591. Oh, well, congratulations. It Thank sounds, you. It, you know, there's nothing like a, a, having a good partner in life. And someone who believes in you. And you have two wonderful children. You want to tell me anything about them? I, I do. The you know the <laughs> to have two boys um is absolutely wonderful on the one hand, but there's another side to that coin. Um and we know what that is. Uh, but I came home today from the golf course and I had given them a chore for the weekend, which was to get the yard all cleaned up weeded, mulched, all the beds taken care of. And I drove up today and was astounded. And I couldn't keep more accolades and approbation onto them. Um, they worked in team. I even was talking to a neighbor who said how well they worked together as a team and how they pulled it all together. And I was astounded. Um, I've never been one to give a whole lot of instruction, and I don't do that in the classroom either. I say, this is what I want to have it. This is the outcome that I'm looking for. You guys go figure it out. And they figured it out. I gave very minimal instruction. It looked fantastic. Um, I have an older one who is now at his mother and my alma maters, South Carolina. Um, and he's doing well. Um, when I say doing well, also, I don't necessarily mean he's getting a 4.0 and all of this stuff in the Honor Society. Um, he's got a wonderful balance to life. And he, he has great friends. He's always drawn wonderful people to him. Um, he doesn't have a lot of friends, but the ones that he has are just outstanding. My younger one is uh, 14 years old. He's about to go into ninth grade at the high school where I teach. My older one graduated from there three years. And they, they're beginning to bond, and they're really beginning to, to work well together. The older one is turning into a bit of a, a hard-ass mentor and his little brother, <laughs> which is fine, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I, I got it pretty good. Uh, and their names are? Uh, the older one is Devin, and the younger is Aiden. A-Y-D-E-N. Oh, I like the way you spell that. Thank you. That's really yeah, new. I don't know that spelling. That's great. That was that was actually a mistake by the birth certificate people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we originally wanted it A-I-D-E-N, I think, and somebody was drinking or something. I don't know. And uh, we got the birth certificate, and we're like, that's cool. We'll take it. Oh, that's really funny. He, well, he, it's unique, because I, mm -hmm. I have a, there's an Aiden across the street with an I, so. Yep, and then there were a lot of Aidens. He was just on a soccer team that had, like, four of them on there. Really? Because that must have been a popular name. I, I know a lot that are A-I-D-A-N, and Devin could be spelled different, too. So, Well, when you, when you have D-E-V-O-N, and you're born in Detroit, it makes for an interesting phone call. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like they survived that, and they're doing really well. I mean, just the idea that they can bond and work together, that's really good. Um, and they'll be good friends the rest of their lives. It'll be really nice. Yep. That's what you look for. You, I have two wonderful children who are very close now, but they weren't always that way. <laughs> no, they're, they're they're not always that way, yeah. nor should we expect them to be. But uh, they're both maturing at their own pace, and they're both their own people. 
And that and that's what I love about it. I never have compared Aiden to Devin. And and Devin was a standout in high school. He was a standout in DECA. And 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 I've never said, hey, do what your brother does. Or yeah. you know, do, follow. It's just not right. Well you shouldn't. I mean, no. we're all unique. We should we shouldn't compare anyone or judge anybody for who they are. So on that, let's just talk a little bit. How, you you started in marketing and business in marketing. Is that right? Well, I got to step back to the semester at South Carolina when I left and I came home and my mother looked at me. and She said, that is the best decision you've ever made. You have two weeks to get out of the house. <laughs> and I was 18 years old. And so I suddenly learned how to uh, market myself. And I had two jobs. I was selling clothes during the day. And I was waiting tables at night and in my own apartment, paying my own bills. And I did that for a couple of years. And it suddenly occurred to me that I did not want to wait tables or sell clothes for the rest of my life. And one thing led to another. I found myself uh, using some connections, which is a whole other topic, connections and relationships. And I was uh, in an internship and they said, hey, you know what, Dan, you, you got something. You need to go back to school and we'll hire you. And so that was in that was in marketing research. And so I went back to South Carolina, graduated with honors, and then went immediately to get my MBA at Indiana University. Uh, and when I left there, it was a top 10 business school, got a job in sales and marketing with Conrail in Philadelphia, and did that for about two, two and a half years, and ended up going back then to the company, which is Stroh, based out of Detroit. Uh, that I was doing my internship with before. And they brought me in on a leadership development program, worked in a brewery in Winston-Salem, and then went on to, uh, got promoted to Detroit. They closed their doors, sold their assets. I ended up becoming an executive in a marketing firm, calling on General Motors. Absolutely loved it. It was having a blast, was very successful. And if, if you've seen my TED Talk or whatever, the... Um, Education had always been in the back of my mind. And when the towers came down, it was an epiphany, I think, for a lot of us. And we kind of reevaluated. And I had a goal to get into teaching after being in the business world for a while. Um, after being in the business world for a while, because I don't think you can go and teach business unless you've actually done it. And you, you can't talk the talk and walk the walk unless you've actually been in those shoes. And when the towers came down, my wife and I looked at our plan and we said, you know what, it's time. And we were in Detroit at the time and ended up going to Wayne State University, got, uh, I forget what they call it, post-secondary certification or something. So basically a, a lateral move and cashed in the chip at Indiana University and went to Carmel, Indiana and did my student teaching because I couldn't afford to live in Gross Point, Michigan anymore. And got down there so it was such an amazing move so happy that i got in the classroom i got another story if you want to hear about my pre-service oh if you sure if we have yeah this 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 is cool so it, at wayne state university they have we develop reflective teachers very cool and they want you to go into a classroom as an observer your very first semester and you're supposed to go there for three or four days a week and check out what the teacher's doing. I showed up on the first day and I'll, I'll 
protect innocent people, we'll honor those not present. And the, and the gentleman who was the teacher of the class hands me the textbooks and says, there's your class. I'm down the hall. Oh, <laughs> oh, so he mistook he mistook me for like a student teacher or something. And um, I had 43 kids in the class with 35 seats. Oh, this is in the middle of downtown Detroit. And all of a sudden, the class started to dissipate. And one day there was only about 20 kids in there. And I was like, what the hell is going on? So I walked down to where he said he was. I hadn't seen him nary a minute. And I walk into this room and there are all those kids. And he goes, well, you were actually teaching them and trying to get them to learn. And they really didn't want to hang out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, OK, so. <laughs> yeah. So that was my very first. Ex- well, I shouldn't say my first experience, but that was when I first went back to get education. So I, I love marketing, love entrepreneurship, love business. Um, and I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I get to take my love and passion for leadership, organizational development, business, and marketing, and I get to combine it with my love of young people and helping develop them. And then, I mean, I couldn't ask for anything better. Oh, you have the best of both worlds. And Absolutely. you're right about walking the, you know, walking the talk. It's so many people that teach have never really experienced what, you know, they teach, and it's really not fair to them. And it's not fair to the kids, but when you talk about business and marketing, marketing's tough now. Um, I'm I'm kind of excited about what you're doing with your kids. It's so I guess we should talk about that because it's okay. It's pretty darn cool. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit how it got started and what the title of it is <laughs> and all of that. <laughs> so I went to Carmel, Indiana. And I had two wonderful mentor teachers there for my actual student teaching. <laughs> and um, it was uh, uh, Joy Law and Jan Brown. And I said, hey, thank you so much for this opportunity. May I please have the class as my own? I want, to, I want the whole thing. You know, I want to make the lesson plans. I want to do everything. And so from day one, I put this marketing class into project-based learning. And this is in 2004, before it was a buzzword. And I said, we're going to develop a brand of our own. We're going to go after it. And so I took the chapters and I took the curriculum and I blended them into the project itself. And these kids ate it up. And the the teachers themselves, it was kind of cool because the room actually had a glass between the classroom and their office. And so they just sat in their office with the door open and listened to me. And from that day, I've done project-based learning and brought in authentic audiences from the very beginning and said, your marketing plan is going to be evaluated by real folks that are out there. And so, and so they were. And I ended up not being employed. Well, actually, that's another story. I got a, I got a job there because a guy was fired. I went stepped into his entrepreneurship class which was a year-long, it was a block eight year-long class. And I said, can you show me where you're at in your business plans? And they looked at me like, what's a business plan? <laughs> and I was like, well, this is entrepreneurship, isn't it? I immediately dug into small business administration and everything else, get all the materials that I possibly could, said, we will develop in one semester, every other day, a business plan. Wow. And put the, put the textbooks away. Let's go. <laughs> and they ate it up. Um and so now here, I, I did that in Indiana for 11 years. And I wow. came here 
And um, I got a, in North Carolina, well, let me back up a moment. In Indiana, they did not adopt Common Core. And so they handed me my very first real job after Carmel. I went to the Metropolitan School District of Lawrence Township. And they handed me maybe three pages at the most of standards. We need for the kids to learn needs. Can you go teach them? And I was like, sure, I can do this. What are my classes? And they said, you got principles of business and marketing and entrepreneurship. I can do this. Okay, thanks. Leave me alone. <laughs> and, um, and the kids loved it. Again, they ate it up. And I brought in authentic audiences. I brought in bankers. I brought in startup folks. I brought in venture capitalists to listen to these people's plans. Wow. So when I came here to North Carolina, which is a common core state, they handed me a 600-page curriculum that basically went day by day. And I rolled it up, I soaked it in kerosene, and made a great fire stir. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> that probably didn't go over really good. <laughs> um, no, it did, went, it did go over okay, because I went to my principal and I said, listen, uh, this is what I want to do. Bam. He said, I tell you what, all I care about is the test scores. If you can get the test scores, I'll let you do it again next year. Three years running now, 100% proficiency on end of course assessment. with barely touching the textbook. And I'm partnering with North Carolina State. Um, sat down with a wonderful gentleman by the name of Raj Narayan at the Keenan Institute. And I had a great meeting. My mind was swimming with ideas. I left there and I was like, oh my gosh, where do I do with this? The one question came up that how do we synergize high quality career and technical education with the institutions of higher learning in North Carolina and the great community that we have here in entrepreneurial startups and such? And we have great learning institutions here, UNC Chapel Hill, Duke, North Carolina State, ECU. I mean, the state is full of them. We've just taken off. The, the kids love it. The universities love it. The parents love it. The community loves it. And so recall the very first question, which is, how do we synergize? And so the name of it is the Applied Synergies Partnership. Partnership on the idea that we have community, parents, universities, edu uh, secondary education. Synergies in that the idea that together we are stronger. When we plant ourselves together, we bloom better. We become stronger. And then applied with the idea that it's not just getting the synergies, it's how do we capitalize on them? How do we take advantage of them and move forward? I have kids speaking in front of large audiences, two and 300 strong. I have um, kids that are putting together plans and going in. They're actually learning a MBA curriculum blended with the DPI wow. curriculum. And these are what grade levels? These are 11th and 12th grade. 11th and 12th. Wow. Um, and they blossom and they flourish. And we've, we've been very successful in DECA. We've been very successful on our EOCs. Right now, I can't handle the emails coming in at me. I was just at a conference and presented a new marketing curriculum to North Carolina. And I'm just the response is great. There are teachers, like you said, who want this, who want to know how to make this happen. Oh, this is just, well, that's where you came up with creating a spirited environment. You want to tell me what that is? 
I, I will. I, I told you that it was about uh, when I was 21 or 22 years old that I finally kind of got caught on to the idea of prioritizing scheduling. And that was through Stephen Covey. And Stephen Covey believes in mission statements. Um, so I made myself a personal mission statement, and I made myself a class mission statement. And this goes all the way back to 2004. My mission is to provide a spirited learning environment in which students feel comfortable and confident to strive for their very best. Wow. And this is when I was a student teacher. And it, I kept it for 15 years. And spirited is an acronym that means Stimulating positive initiative, respect, integrity, teamwork, empathy, and determination. And wow. the, I've learned in the last three years what I've done in my class, the last two years, is I give them my mission. I don't tell them what it means to me, the spirited part. And now I say, I want you to define your ideal classroom and find words that fit your unique characteristics for each one of these letters. And they come up with really cool stuff. Oh, and so I, wow. yeah, and I have them plastered on my wall now. Whatever they come up with, that's what we put on the wall. So at one point I saw it said enthusiasm, but you changed it to empathy. I changed it to empathy. It was originally enthusiasm, and that's because of our great TLN out there on Twitter. And it came <laughs> through... Um, I want to say Fable Five. Oh and yeah, Shelby. Yeah. I, I was, I was. Ta- it was just something that she said, or something that she did, or a post that she put out there. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I have determination and all these other things. We need empathy. Yep. Um, I'm writing a new book about the why, and there's a whole chapter on empathy because if we don't have that now, if our kids don't have that. Um, it's all about being part of the world and then uh, sharing with others too. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The yeah, I mean, yeah, empathy and the ability to seek first to understand before you are understood is uh, Covey's uh, fifth habit, and it is so important. And kids don't understand it. Most people don't understand that. We want our voice to be heard before we hear other people's voice. That's right. And it's got it's got to turn around. I'm trying to do that in my podcast. <laughs> Listen more <laughs> because I I I learned so much from, you know, like you and others and um it the idea of you call it ASAP. That's the shortened version of your nonprofit. Applied yeah. synergy. Say it again so I have it down. Yeah. Well, actually, it's it's a double entendre. The name of the organization itself, which is now the nonprofit 501c3, is Applied Synergies Partnership. And it's a double entendre in the sense that ASAP, and we all know what that means. So what one of my goals is to intentionally develop the workforce and professional skills that young people need as soon as possible. Don't wait for the companies to spend billions of dollars on organizational development. Why can't it be done in high school? I'm going to just put this out. I think we wait too long to teach those skills. I think they need to start even earlier. That's my thing. I'm, by the time they get yeah. to high school, I mean, if they everyone had a teacher like you, I think it'd be great. But I, I think that this idea of experiential learning, mm-hmm. doing the project-based learning activities that you did, bringing in marketing mm-hmm. early... 
so people really understand that they can advocate for something they believe in? There's all those things that you talked about. Yeah, well, it's funny because marketing from a traditional perspective is the idea of influencing people to buy what it is you're selling. And marketing really is the idea of understanding the consumer in such a way that they want to buy. It's not that you're convincing them to buy. It's that you want them to buy. Um, I can look at this from an education perspective, and I have 50 seats in my entrepreneurship section, and I have over 170 students trying to get in. Wow. You can take a look at this from a corporate perspective on what Simon Sinek has done for the power of why and start with why. Um, Frankly, what he has done is packaged it in such a way as to have it appeal to millennials and Generation Y. But it's nothing new. You know, purpose and mission and vision for companies and has been around for generations. Yes. But he's just reformulated it to appeal to the millennials. So hats off to him for effective marketing, making it appeal to the buyer. Some people don't understand that they feel like, oh, we're not trying to make them uh, little marketers. But there's so many skills that they learn that will help them with whatever they do. So the idea of motivating people so they want something that you're advocating, whatever it is. It could be an idea. It could be whatever. But the idea I see is that we've been feeding the Common Core and the other curriculum for so long <laughs> that, yeah, kids don't know what they want. You know? and No, you know? yeah. They, they, they espouse that they know what they want because they, I'm going to return to a term I said earlier, they have been indoctrinated by society and their parents. Their parents are, and we've seen it all over Twitter, the parents went through the same system, so they think this is what's best and whatnot. But the people on the other end of the pipeline, the professionals that are hiring these folks, are saying, no, this is not what we need. This is not what we want anymore. We need people who can think. We need people who can analyze. We need people who can question who can do the research. We need people that can collaborate and actually work in teams. And so we don't do that in school anymore. Like my principal said, and I, I you know, God bless him. He's, he's, he's good and he's got his own marching orders from his own bosses. Um, but I've done so much more than bring test scores. I've had people that have left there and go, holy smokes, I never knew what there could be. You know, you're doing something so amazing that I'm, I think you, your curriculum or your, the way you've packaged this where, where it's open-ended and the kids are actually taking it on their own, that can be marketed. Aren't you doing something? Are, are you doing anything with this idea and curriculum? And- the, um, actually, the, uh, when we formed the nonprofit, I put together a board of directors that are uh, a couple of university folks, a couple of retired professionals, um, a couple of working professionals, a couple of parents. And I really didn't know. I knew what I wanted. I could kind of see it, but it was very, it wasn't granular yet. It was very broad stroke. And so we're still fighting with it. And I think what we're doing right now is we're going to go out and start to look for teachers who are passionate, but yet it's latent. 
it's it's pent up somehow. And if we can just help them find a way to say, this is how you can do it. A lot of people have said to me, well, it's all about the teacher. It's you, Dan. And I said, no, it's not. I believe that there are other people out there that can do this. It's not just me. And so the conference that I was just at gathered up 30 names of entrepreneurship educators, worked in a think tank um, with 10 people from around the state and whatnot. And so I'm going to start, if anything, start questioning. What do you need? What do I have that you might use? Um, ben Owens, who is, uh, wrote the book, uh, Open Up Education. I'm reading that now. I met him at a conference in Wilmington. Um, and he's got some great ideas. Tom Hudak, with what he's doing in the British Columbia, uh, I'm working with him on purpose and inquiry. Um, Inspire Citizens with Aaron Moniz and uh, Steve Sostek. Yeah. I'm working with them on U- in, uh, UN SDGs. Um, so there are things in the people. It's open source now. It really is. And so I'm looking for those sources who can help me. And, and then I'm looking for those receptacles that I can help. That makes sense? Yes. And I know a lot of these people that you're talking about and I, and um, I'm kind of on the same journey, but I'm doing it in a different way. And, um, but, but I think there's a lot of us out there that may not have your, you know, don't have your background and might not have the connections that you have. And it's kind of nice that you've reached out. I I'm going to follow your journey. I mean, we're going to put all of the links on the post <laughs> and let people know about this because, Dan, this is just uh, what people need right now. This is just wonderful. I, I appreciate that. And I think what I need to start doing, even if it's just a couple of paragraphs each week or so, my journey through developing purpose and helping kids find their way and using the SDGs to help create global awareness and cultural awareness. There is life outside of Cary, North Carolina. <laughs> um, and Sally Jo Saragusa in Pennsylvania and Matt Wyman are doing with their coffee shops. Oh, yeah. Isn't that great? It's a great idea. And I'm like, I, I saw that this morning. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I want to do this. I actually yeah. had coffee with Sally Jo, so <laughs> I know them both. You know, it's really fun. Um, I wish I could go on, but I think I'm going to have to take this and maybe do another one in the future when this just explodes this is just exactly what I wanted to talk about with you. And I'm, I'm really honored that you could share this time with me. Well, thank you, Barbara. I really appreciate it. And I will somehow find a way for others to follow my journey. And if you want to be a part of that, maybe we check in like October 1st and see how the SDGs went and finding purpose and such. That sounds perfect. All right. Oh, Dan, thank you so much. I'm honored. This has been wonderful. I appreciate you and your work. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Dan Jackson. Make sure you check out the complimentary blog post about Dan and his amazing story, along with resources and links. Please subscribe to the podcast. We welcome a review and to have you retweet and share out the posts about the podcast. And you can also subscribe to my website, barbabray.net, to receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the conversations.